doing something live, like a live TV show, a live radio show, where there's not only instant feedback, but the trepidation of not knowing quite what's going to come out of your mouth next with no, um, I guess, space to, to make any changes there. If I'm writing a book, I just press delete. If we're doing this podcast, I'll email you after and say, oh, I'll get rid of that bit. I sounded like a dickhead there. When you're live, that, that chance isn't there. And due to the culture we live in, we live in a toxic culture where the margin for mistakes or error is zero. Hello. How's it going? Dave here. Steve here and welcome. And Sarah. Hi. Welcome to this week's podcast. We're delighted to have you. Thanks, Mel. Hope you're doing wonderful. Um, Steve, I wanted to ask you how uh, <laughs> it went down with them. Um, with your, your brother, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we are our middle brother, Mark. So we're... we're two of four boys and Mark, uh, he's, he's a DJ traveling the world and he's just got into, he's kind of been running the shop because he has, or the cafe because he hasn't been able to travel. Uh, and also he loves it. I know you do, Mark. I know you do. Uh, and he's started listening to our podcast every day, driving to work. And uh, it, last time he said, Steve, like he said to me about a month ago, Steve, like I have to like, you've used that word a sense of 22 times last episode. And we, he's been tracking it now for the last few episodes. And it, it got like, we got down to 18 last week and, you know, I'm, I'm afraid in this episode, um, but it's funny it does peek its head a few ever, times. Ever since he said that to me, I've noticed it and I can't, I can't help but notice it now. And I'm like, why did he ever say it to me? Because I wouldn't have oh, noticed me too, you saying it Me too, it even sure it comes out and I go, oh no, Mark, that one's for you. And I lose my train of thought, but yeah. But I have a habit of saying like too often. And I remember, I remember my sister pointed it out to me. And after that, I couldn't speak fluently like anymore. I was just so conscious so all conscious. the time yeah, of yeah. saying like, like, like. So yeah. I ask anyone listening, be kind to my sense of. I wonder where you got it from. I don't know. Uh, it makes you sound very intelligent. You that. <laughs> I don't, I really don't know about that. So, so you guys have some very exciting news. Oh, we've got some week. really exciting news. I forgot about that. Well, oh, this how is could brilliant. you forget when you're so excited? Uh, I just ate loads of lunch, <laughs> so maybe it's like a brain fog from that. Um, yes. So we've been so, working on this project for nearly two years. It's a new book. It's amazing. It really, really is. Because... 30% of the world's food is wasted. So 30% of the food in your planet is wasted. One of the major things you can do to reverse climate change and to improve the health of the planet is to not waste food. That's the intro. Right? That was pretty good. And the yeah. single biggest thing you can do is eat a plant-based diet. So uh, this book, it is called The Veg Box. We've taken the 10 most common or most popular used veg. We're cooking and the them, most wasted veg. And the most we wasted veg. We're cooking them 10 different ways using 10 ingredients or less. So it's really practical, super easy. We had to kind of really, really dial things into like each and every ingredient. Can, I say, one, can I say one thing about it? Yeah, so instead of it being breakfast, lunch and dinner, we've gone by vegetables. So we, as we said, taking the 10 most popular veg. So say, for example, carrot. We've taken carrots. And you know the way you've got like three wonky carrots left in the bottom of the fridge and you're going oh geez I don't know what to do and maybe I make soup well we've got like as well as soup we've got like carrot granola or carrot muffins or carrot flapjacks or carrot cupcakes like we've really pushed the boundary of it so it's it's really really good comes out June this something or other but it's now available to pre-order we'll put a link down below so you can order if you're in Ireland you can order from Eason's if you're internationally you can order from the book depository and then there's also Amazon yes so also the thing that's really cool about this book it looks different to your other book yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's I'm quite really... a mature cover. Like, yeah. it's the first cover that I've actually shown to pretty much everyone. Went, oh, that's really nice. And that's like, a bit harsh because the know. other ones are of you, Dave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's amazing. Like when you give when you show people a book cover, normally elicits elicits some sort of a response. Like it's like positive or negative. Whereas this one, pretty much universally, everyone went, 
Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, because it's just a picture of beautiful vegetables. Yeah, it just looks yeah. mature. It's beautiful. <laughs> and this this one's got, uh, sorry to go back to it, but it's got more than 100 recipes and it's very much, we got into kind of food politics and soil and farming. I enjoyed and, writing all the bits. And minimizing waste. Like, it, it's very practical. I, I really, this is a beautiful book and I'm, I kind of said to Steve so many times, why didn't we do this years ago? Like, this is so easier. It's so much better. But anyway, enough about the book. Okay. Firstly, I just wanted to say thanks for all your lovely feedback in last week's episode with Jeff Krasno. We really appreciate all the feedback. Great comments. And thanks to everyone who shared it in Instagram stories. We just reshared He's it He's an amazing dude as well. Like, check him out. What yeah, a really good. What a like gentleman. A modern spirituality. It was all about meaning and purpose. If, you, if you're looking for more meaning and purpose, this was very enlightening. Certainly for me, I found lots This of week, we have a blockbuster. In case you didn't read the tile and you clicked on it. I'm this sure you did. This episode is with... Fern Cotton uh, Fern's amazing She really is What a cool Just Who is Fern If anyone doesn't know Fern is amazing She's been a radio presenter Since the age of 15 A TV and radio presenter And British personality She kind of shifted away From becoming a Presenter And being in the limelight To kind of Shifting into Self-development Spir- And spirituality. Per- spirituality And like and Just happiness. on this Completely different journey By She started by writing a book On happiness And one on calm And one on Quiet. Quiet. And she's she's got a recent book out, another one which is in the same kind of vein. They're really wonderful. She started a business called Happy Place, which is all about exactly as the title and Festivals and podcasts. She's just a powerful, incredible lady. It was a wonderful conversation, really ethereal, finding meaning, happiness, kind of digging into the kind of grit of life. Yeah, really, really good. So without further ado... Is that what you I said? Do. To do. Oh, without further ado... Sarah, do you want to Okay, we could do that again. You could say that again. Without further ado... Here's Fern. Yay! Great. Jeez, you're deadly, Fern. I had great fun rooting around there the last hour or two, just re- realizing the breadth <laughs> of your work. Yeah, oh, you're prolific. Thank you. Thank you. For God. a few decades, like. I know, it's because I'm bloody old. You know, it's like, well, well I started young and, am I? Yeah. I we're 41. Are you? Wait, yeah. one of you said 41 and one of you said 42. No, we're 42. Oh shit, we're 42. Yeah, we're 42, yeah, we're 42, yeah. 42 in December. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Haven't got the update yet. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. Well, you're looking bloody good for that, chaps. Wow. Oh, right at you too. Right at you too. And you've got two kids, a boy and a girl. Yeah, and then two stepkids as well. So, And do they all um, live with you all the time? No, we've sort of, it's changed over the years because they're older. I mean, Arthur's at university, so he's never anywhere. He's just in, he's at Newcastle. And then my stepdaughter sort of comes and goes. Whereas when they were tiny, it probably was a little bit more um, sort of scheduled, but we'd have them for big blocks. You know, it could be a weekend or it might be a month. It, there was no sort of wow. set thing. So yeah, we I've, I've luckily have had the opportunity to sort of spend a really amazing amount of time with them since they were little. So um, yeah, it's a wow. lovely it's an good honor family to, dynamics. To good so. family dynamics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good, really good. And um, one thing, okay, okay. So your new book is called Bigger Than Us. Stephen's question was, "What's bigger than us?" And I was being ironical when I said well, that. Was being, <laughs> now, ironical isn't a word. I, I, I was being I ironical. Like also, you're hilarious. <laughs> you're so funny. Thank you, David. Um, well. Okay, so I know it's about awareness, communication, and love. Those are the three main principles. Yeah. So, okay, I guess this is it. This is so I I'm in a sort of transitional period in my work life. Not so much. I mean, slightly in my actual life, but more so my work life, revealing some interests that I've got and ones that I've had for a very long time that I'm wanting to explore in the sort of work arena now. And one of them is. I feel sometimes uncomfortable using the word because it puts people off, but spirituality, 
which mm. I, I believe is just life. It's just yeah. our experience of life. So my, I think many people have that question probably in their subconscious, like, is there something bigger than us at play? Is there something bigger? Of course, if you are uh, aligned with one particular religion, you have a name for what that thing is. There are certain rules and outlines and, and a sort of doctrine that you follow. But when you're not religious, I, I'm not, I wasn't brought up in a religious household. Um, I, I'm very fascinated to learn about different religions, um, but I haven't, I'm not sort of sticking to one. I, I like to sort of read about them all and learn about them all as much as I can. Um, so my my question, you know, what is bigger than us um, is, is, a, is a genuine one because I don't know, but I truly believe there is something bigger, not just in an exterior sense. It might live in the exterior world or your connection to the world around us, but it's also very much within us. And the book is asking that question and then looking at different ways of trying to not answer that question because I don't think anyone can, nobody knows, but to certainly explore different avenues that allow us to tap into whatever that something bigger is. And then, of course, there are people that don't believe there's something bigger, which is absolutely fine. You know, come, welcome along. I'm, I'm welcoming everyone along to read the book if they want to. This is not a sort of exclusive club. This is the most accessible notion there is. We're all alive and trying to work out what all of this is and what it means. So it's sort of searching for meaning and looking for connection um, and asking these sort of big impossible questions I guess that must have been quite a journey to create that and what's now a question that comes up with me sorry for cutting my brother off there uh <laughs> that, that sense of I was gonna ask oh my little brother told me stop saying that word a sense of so I'm correcting myself yet again <laughs> in terms of your creative process you're quite prolific you do podcasts you write books you've run festivals you write cookbooks you write yoga books and you're a mother and you're running a family and I take my hat off to you. You're phenomenal. What's your creative process or do you have any? You know what? It, it, it's become probably more obvious in the last five years since I've started writing, because even though it's not perhaps obvious to think that like hosting a TV show or doing a radio show is creative, there is a creative element, even if it's, you know, doing a radio show with no script and you're just sort of free flowing that. You need that state of flow to be able to fill a, you know, a big chunk of silence on the radio. So I don't think I was even aware of it then. I thought my creativity back when I was you know, in my teens or 20s or probably even early 30s was just painting because I love painting. I didn't see it so much in my everyday work, whereas now it's so obvious to me that everything I'm trying to do with Happy Place um, has this sort of huge creative force behind it. And I'm very, very lucky that I can click into a creative flow very easily. And actually, I've got probably too much energy. I can very easily click into a sort of uh, hyper creativity, which is brilliant. But like most things that are quite extreme, does have a downside. So I can you know, write thousands of words a day. They might all, they might not all be brilliant, but I can certainly punch them out, and I can draw, paint, think of new ideas for happy place. But then that can also lead to a state that isn't anywhere near calm. And I can get quite, my husband will go to me, you're talking a trillion miles an hour and you're telling me eight things in one sentence. And it's just a massive muddle. Like just what, why are you rushing? Slow down. But I have always had this 
a massive urgency within me. I don't know what it is, but it's the feeling is of urgency. I, I love doing stuff, being productive, getting shit done, and I almost can't stop. But then every now and again, I don't even know what the cycle is. I should probably monitor it more. I go into a, a low. It's not a depression because I've been there as well. I go into a bit of a flat low where I'm like, oh my God, I've got so much to do and I can't be bothered and I just don't want to do anything. I just want to be on my own because I've just gone too far into that sort of creative thing. So I know that it's just naturally how I am and I'd probably be diagnosed with something these days, but I've never been tested, but I probably would have some sort of diagnosis going on. But I go fully into this creative thing and then I fall flat for a bit. And is it almost and, like burnout? Is it almost like yeah, you just, I guess like so. Not, too much? Yeah, not burnout in the sense where there's some sort of breakdown. Because, you know, I've kind of sort of been there as well. But it, it, it's more so just like sort of overwhelmed, but a lethargy that comes with it. And everything's a bit annoying. And I just want space and peace. I feel really claustrophobic. So I go from like one extreme to the other. Luckily, the sort of negative side of it is shorter than the, the creative bit. The creative bit can go on for a good sort of week, maybe two weeks at times where I'm just, I'm in it at the moment, which is probably why I'm- You're just, like, you're so, so you're is, this, is, this a, is this a pattern that just repeats like over a yeah. month? You might've gone from, you know, you'll go with seven days of pumping it out and then three days of kind of like, you know, hermit for- an, Yeah, hermit. totally. But that's natural. That's, I think, I think we all have a cycle like that, you know, where you're no, naturally I out and you're, you, I, I, I can totally relate to that sense of urgency because I have that, that sense of just oh. now, now. And it's like- yeah. <gasps> And, and no, how, do you, how do you balance Do you find, do you can, find, can I ask, can I ask, sorry, you yes. asked the last one. We're excited. Yeah. I, I was going to ask about, uh, like, where does calm come into it? Or is your balance just in the extremities that you have? You go full tilt into creative process and then you, like, full go mode. And then you've got, like, kind of, like, exhausted, you know, rebuilding mode. Or, like, like is that kind of your, your rhythm? Or... Or how yeah. have you, like with writing a book like Cam and Happy, Quiet. like obviously you've had to contemplate the the idea of Cam and what is it like yeah. putting that into practice or what is Cam Fern? I guess the, the, the book Calm came from having panic attacks, which is, you know, um, probably uh, um, similar energy levels, but much nastier than having a good creative flow, obviously. And they only started about uh, probably five five years ago. And I still deal with them much more infrequently now, thank goodness, because I've changed a few things in my life that were, they were quite big things, actually. I've sort of left a lot of jobs that made me feel really unsafe. Um, but I but I haven't eradicated the feelings. If I have to go into a situation where I don't feel safe, I could, I could easily still have a panic attack. So calm was a sort of reaction to that. Whereas I don't think I've ever worked in a sort of management routine with the hyper creative bit because I really like it. And I think some people pro would probably say to me, try not to lean too far into that really manic creativity and then you won't have such a big low. But I would really miss it. So I sort of just go with it. Um, and the downs can be quite extreme and I can be quite ratty and, and feel quite sort of hopeless about things. But I really like the bit I'm in now where it's just all happening really quickly. And I'm on a bit of a high from it. And like last night I was talking to our mutual friend, Russell Brand, and he actually said, I think it was a compliment. He went, 
Yeah, your energy's really punchy at the moment. It's a bit sort of stabby in a good way. Ooh, wow. <laughs> it's like, okay. and that well, I think it was from, a compliment. Is that coming from Russell is? <laughs> I know. I know. Wow. But I know, I know it must feel like that to be on the receiving end of. Like with my husband, I am kind of going, oh my God, I'm doing this and that's happening and la la la. And can you do this? And, you know, it's overwhelming. And he's like all chilled and on the other end of the spectrum. So I probably do need to work out new infrastructures to help get more of a balance but I really like going on that big high I enjoy it it sounds like you're in your own balance though if you're you know content with it because I like I can relate to that that sense of there I go again saying that word a sense of my my brother Mark that (laughs) one was for you he's been slagging me saying Steve I think you said a sense of 20 times last time I listened to the podcast Uh, it's the worst I have I have that where I'll what's your word I think I, I think I was at one point saying you know and that was really bugging me that I kept saying, you know, you know, you know, when you do this, you know, when I do that. And I was like, how do I not say it? I couldn't stop myself. So if you want to say sense of, just bloody go for it. Own it. Own it. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, go you, said, you said that word safety a couple of times. So safety, you said I didn't feel safe in the job. Like, what does that, could you tell more about that? Because, you know, it's not a word that like... You know, the way we like life is busy and demanding and we don't often are vulnerable enough to say, I don't feel safe. Like, you know, unless you are in a dark alley in the middle of the night or something and there's. Yeah, because my job previously doesn't look like you're going to be unsafe. I'm not, you know, working on scaffolding or, you know, doing something that's emotionally unsafe, like working as a surgeon where there's all this trepidation. My lack of safety is very much cognitive, obviously. And that is due to, I guess, having been on TV for a very long time or in the public domain, whatever you want to call it, and getting so used to feedback that I would second guess it in a really negative way. And it it has made me and still makes me feel very unsafe. And I'm working on that constantly, trying out different techniques, working with different therapists interviewing people on the podcast. My work and my life have sort of merged now that I can get advice from someone privately, but equally when I'm doing a podcast episode, which is It can be done almost publicly. Let's do a public therapy session. Well, it's lucky because it helps hopefully other people at the same time. And my, my lack of safety is, you know, doing something live, like a live TV show, a live radio show, where there's not only instant feedback, but the trepidation of not knowing quite what's going to come out of your mouth next with no, um, I guess, space to, to make any changes there. If I'm writing a book, I just press delete. If we're doing this podcast, I'll email you after and say, oh, I'll get rid of that bit. I sounded like a dickhead there. When you're live, that, that chance isn't there. And due to the culture we live in, we live in a toxic culture where the margin for mistakes or error is zero. There is none. There's not even a cat's whisker of a margin for error. That is dangerous. We're making people in the public eye, whatever they do, or people that are known, are not allowed to make mistakes. Otherwise, they are cancelled. They're told they, they should not exist in the public domain. They're vilified. Who can go through life without making errors and mistakes, big and small? No one. Not a single human listening to this can say that in their past, there are no mistakes and they haven't slipped up, made an error, turned down the wrong road, whatever it is. But for some reason, the public eye, you are not allowed to do that anymore. You're not allowed a second chance. You're not allowed 
to explain yourself or defend yourself. It's become really extreme. And it wasn't like that when I was, you know, on the telly at 16, 15, 16, 17, 18, probably into my mid twenties. I made mistakes all the time and it just wasn't talked about. And and now it's just, it's crazy. It's off the chart crazy. And is do, that do you think, because of social media? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Is it the Probably. sense of, you know, it's become more decentralized as in people can comment. Previously, you had to write in a letter into the, into yeah. the broadcasters, into the main broadcast station. I disagree <laughs> with Fern there. And it takes a bit yeah. of weeks. So there's a bit of space. So you're less sensitive. Whereas now it's like immediate, immediate, immediate. Yeah, you check something on social media and it's like, it oh that. no. I think so, because... Everyone being able to voice, like have a voice is positive because, you know, some people feel in life like they're not heard and they're not listened to. And that is a shame. And it's probably more to do with their personal life rather than it being sort of a a public thing, needing to be in the public arena. But of course, it will project itself wherever there's room. And now there's always room on social media to rant about something or have a pop at someone because actually in your real life, in your actual dynamics that you work within every day you you don't feel heard or seen so people are looking for an outlet constantly and you know I'm not blaming people that have had a pop at anyone I get it you're in pain you don't feel good I've done that I've probably had a massive go at my husband probably on every occasion that I've had a pop at my husband Jesse it's been because I don't feel good about myself not because of what he's doing and and being in the public eye is just an extreme version of that you're on the receiving end of so many people's projections and I'm not sat here moaning oh poor me on the telly with everyone having a go at me you know I didn't know what I was stepping into at 15 I didn't understand that that was the nature of the job I certainly have over the years and I've still made the choice to stay in the public arena but it doesn't mean I have to like it and it also doesn't mean that I don't get the opportunity to challenge the systems that are in place that I believe are toxic for everyone not just people in the public eye but everybody who's used to the ubiquitousness of uh, comment and it, and it having to be a fact once it's seen in black and white. They're just opinions. It's all just opinions. Everything is just an opinion. Nobody knows anything, really. We're all just sort of saying our bit and working from a place of emotion, pain, joy, whatever. None of it's necessarily fact. You know, there are facts that we can see, like this is a tree, here is a table. But all the other stuff is kind of up for grabs. And we can sit and debate about it until we're absolutely exhausted. But it, the, the sort of lack of opportunity for people, I think, in the public eye is mimicked in everyday life. So people are feeling less inclined to take risks in everyday life because we see people get cancelled. We see how huge arguments start in the news or on social media. And it scares us. And, it, and, we're, and we're not allowing ourselves to make mistakes because we, we think they're bad. A lady that I know that's incredibly wise and has taught me loads has a little plaque on her wall and it says something like, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've learned so much or I've gained so much from making mistakes. I'm thinking of making some more because the, it's the best place to learn and grow. But the, our culture says you are a bad person. You shall be cancelled rather than, OK, what did you learn? Try something new. See what happens next time. There's no space for that. And that, going back, this is a bloody long answer to your question, is why I do not feel safe in certain 
workspaces. Good, you wrapped that up nicely, Fern. I liked it. Good finish. With a bow on. With a bow on. The the thing that comes up with me with that is that sense of how do you deal with that feedback? Because I know myself with social media and with certain things, I can have a sensitivity. Dave's much better. He's like water off a duck's back. He's like, you know, the ultimate kind of Tai Chi master. Bring it in and just send it (laughs) out to the world. (laughs) Uh, Whereas I can sometimes, it can stick to me and I can feel a heaviness and a sensitivity and a little bit more wrapped up in what other people think of me. How do you manage that? And are there anything that you found over the years of, you know, having to deal with as the trolls have got bigger and bigger and bigger noses and bigger fingers? I would would have almost thought that after like 20 years or so in the public arena that your skin would get thick and you don't kind of feel it nearly quite the opposite. No, it's probably got thinner because I don't, I, I think because I had this sort of big moment of um, sort of depression and all these other ugly feelings that came with that. A lot of the, um, a, a, lot, a lot of stuff going on in my life uh, just didn't make sense anymore. The illusion shattered, shall we say, especially within the sort of work domain. So I guess all the stuff that I believed in didn't make sense. And I knew that I felt much comfier and happier talking like we are now. In a, in a very authentic, raw manner. You know, you, you, you'll ask, whatever you ask me today, I will answer truthfully. I'm not going to dodge questions. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say things. So I hope people like me more. I can only be me. But I didn't used to work like that. I used to think, how can I impress people? How can I make them laugh? How can I entertain them? I'm not so interested in that. I think when you work in a more sort of entertaining fashion, or I certainly felt I had a slightly thicker skin then, because I was so desperate to do it. I was so desperate to succeed. I was so desperate to be the shiny person on telly or the radio, whatever it might be. Whereas now I'm, I'm literally being me. So when someone gives me feedback, it does hurt because I've, I've, got an, I've got the propensity to go, oh my God, there's something wrong with me and they're right. And I know deep, deep down that that isn't correct, but I will still easily fall into that cycle. And I'm sort of bored of fighting it. Like, I am just like that. Like you, Steve, I'm a little bit sensitive. I'm very open. I let everything in because I'm I'm open, hoping that I can transmit and receive love. But of course, with that, I, I transmit and receive lots of other shit as well. So I am very sensitive and I don't deal with it well. And I'm probably not made for the job, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, I can wow. relate to that. I've had to kind of keep social media a little bit more at an arm's length. Just, just and for my own mental kind of management of it, because otherwise I can see it affecting me, you know, the way. And it's like, I don't want mm. that. I got a family. I got much more things that are of more meaning to me than that sense of whether people like me or dislike me on social media, because half them or most of them I will never meet. But you know, it's also not our fault because it wasn't like this 20 years ago. And now we're dealing with this system that is so present in all of our lives. Even if you're not on social media, you know it exists. Or even you could look at a political structure or a more mainstream medium structure. Everything is quantified. So now we think we know how liked we are by how many followers we have, by how many likes we have on a picture, how popular um, an MP is, how popular a, a you know, a conversation is on YouTube, wherever it sits, we can, we sort of think we can quantify what's popular and what's liked. And we've put meaning behind that, that that is sort of the be all and end all that we're liked. And obviously that's such a dangerous, slippery slope because the, the only thing that really, really matters 
is that we like ourselves because obviously then subsequently other people will like us and it all works out beautifully, but in a very natural, organic way rather than hoping people, please like me, please like me because I'm being like this because I think that's what you want me to be, please like me, rather than really doing the work on I like myself and then naturally you'll fall into rhythm with other people that you can be natural around and be yourself around. So it's not really our fault. We're in a very flawed system. Wonderful answer. I love it. I absolutely love it. Can we camp out in this one? Okay, so, because like your transformation is inspiring. Like it really is the idea that you kind of, like you're broadcasting your TV stuff and then you kind of shifted into like your own journey of writing books that really, as you kind of say yourself, there was much for your own, own self-discovery as they were for helping other people and your podcast, which I think is amazing. So I'd love to know, like, like on this journey of liking yourself more, like what are bits that you've learned? What are things that have been big nuggets for you? And I'd love to know more about this. Well, I think it all comes down to awareness because we can only probably really tell if if we like ourselves on any particular day because I don't think it is necessarily consistent even with people that are very practiced in this area we can only really tell by going oh god you know what what are my actions today how am I reacting to the outside world and 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 we can look at those actions and have awareness of them and go oh, oh I see I see why I did that I, I can see why I got really impatient when I was in the queue in the supermarket because someone was like bringing out vouchers or whatever. Um, big, do people still do that? Probably not. But whatever the example is, and you're feeling a bit angry inside or, you know, you're thinking bad thoughts about someone that you're talking to or someone's riled you at work and you're re- really reactive to it. I think, you know, if you're, if you're truly in a place of self-compassion, stuff just does fly off you a bit easier. Like, oh, you know what? I can see they're having a bad day. I've been there. We'll just work through this. It's going to be a little bit irritating, but whatever. Versus you going, oh my God, why is this person being an arsehole to me? There, but you know, when you're in a place of self-loathing, it's really easy to go into the place of of feeling like the world's at you. The world is attacking you. People and whatever it is, systems in place, things are attacking you. And sometimes for 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 marginalized communities it is you know we can't ignore that there are systems in place that mean certain communities um of people don't have a, a fair shot at opportunity and you know we can look at the disability community um we can look at racism huge huge such subjects where people aren't systemically treated well but when it well i'm talking more about bog standard life stuff dynamics in your life people relationships um, when you're reacting from a place of anger, frustration, the only thing you can really do is look at yourself. I, I don't always do this. Obviously, I get angry and shout and get frustrated, even with my own kids. We all do it. You know, they're not listening. They're not putting their shoes on. You're late for the school run, whatever. You get aggroed. But really, if we stop in those moments and go, why am I doing this? Like if I use the school run example, I know what it is. I don't want to be late. I don't want the teacher thinking bad of me. Like that matters. I don't want the teacher thinking bad of me. It's, who cares? It's ridiculous. Um, but these are the things that we have to be aware of. And when we are in self-compassion, we're much less likely to be reactive. We give ourselves a bit more time to stop and think. We're kinder to ourselves and we make mistakes, which we've obviously talked about a lot today. Um, your day flows with a little more ease. You're not going to change circumstantially what's happening. That's out of our control. But you will move through it with more ease if self-compassion's there. And I know that. I just don't always do it. 
No, I think we're all we're How all we kind get of more relatively of good with the theory, the practices, the challenge of this, yeah, this wonderful yeah, yeah. game of life. One thing that's like kind of really driving me this year is that sense of oh, there we go again. Uh, <laughs> that's four. I'm going to count okay, them for Mark. Can, I'm going to be your counter. So I'll like. save Mark counting it later. Um, one thing that I'm focused on this year is the notion of yeah, new word. Is the notion of surrender. I read that book, Michael A. Singer's The Surrender Experiment, and it just really resonated with me. And I know times in my life where I've been really in a flow state have been when I've been meditating hugely. I remember when I first got into meditation, I did a Vipassana meditation retreat back. 20 years ago and for a number of years I used to meditate two hours every day and I remember wow. I was just like life was like water it was just the wind was at my now back that could be rose tinted glass of course yeah, like, it is of course in, it is. in the past you were like the biggest tunk ever as well of course Do you remember that? Like, thank you David uh, <laughs> and you were the best rugby player do you remember that quiet David <laughs> but I did feel like the life the wind was at my back as opposed to now that I'm a father I'm finding it harder to make time to meditate however this year, my focus is on the sense. Nah, fuck. It's focusing on surrendering Fire. more. <laughs> I wonder if we could camp out in this topic of surrender, because so much of life we tend to <laughs> see it from this egoic nature of that I know better, I must control it. Whereas ultimately, we're in that state of surrender. We're letting go. We're letting life happen to us, as opposed to us happening life. Over to you, Fern. Yeah, surrendering is so hard. And look, you know, we started this chat by me telling you that I'm a Virgo. And I will never be late. And I really hold tightly to the reins of life sometimes. And it's not great. Sometimes it's good because I get a lot of shit done and I can be quite organized and meticulous. Yet I feel terrified to let go. And I think that's because I forget. To, to let go of what? To let go. Like when you say that, to let go. To let like go of that bit. tight grip of like, I've got to do this and that. And that's going to be okay. Because if that doesn't happen, then that won't turn out okay. Rather than actually resting in a place of hope. Where does hope fit into this? I think hope and surrender have a really lovely little dynamic going on because if you are hopeful, yeah, trust or hope. I think you could use either word. If you are trusting in life, if you are hopeful about life, you will let go more. You will loosen the grip that you have on everyday life and you will feel more relaxed. And I'm not good at that at all. I'm really not. Sometimes I'm a little better. Like today, I had a sort of frustrating um, work situation going on where I felt that if I could only get this deal in the bag that we were working on, if I massively compromised my beliefs around something. And it was really jarring with me. I was feeling really edgy. I was really gripping onto the whole thing and I was trying to find solutions and I was really like not letting go or surrendering. And then I'm not, brilliant at just sitting and meditating. I know that that's something I would like to put more time and effort into in the future. But I'm being really honest, my way of meditating is to do a walking meditation. So I'll go without a phone or headphones and I'll walk and I'll listen to the birds and I'll ask questions and I'll see if answers come. And, and it's just a nice peaceful time. So I had an hour long walk and I asked lots of questions too. That's something bigger. You could use whatever name you want. You can use the word God, you could use the word universe, energy, whatever, it doesn't matter. You could say David Bowie, whoever you're talking to, it doesn't matter who it is. So I asked the question, you know, am I on the right path here? Am I making the right decision sticking to my guns on this one? And the answer was instant. 
Um, we don't have to overthink it. Like, did I just make that up? The answer and is it was instant? There. Like, is it instant? Like, it just comes back into your head, or just like yeah, it's a thought? And yeah. and I think there's validity there. The thought was, it's all good. It's all good. Just don't, just don't, just go with it. It's all good. Just go with it. And I kept walking and kept walking, and I got home and I felt way more peaceful. And then it transpires that things were going on whilst I was walking, and it all turned out okay without me having to compromise my own set of beliefs in life. And I wish I hadn't gone through the bit before where I was all stressed and my muscles were tense and I felt like I was getting a bit of a headache because I was gripping hold of it all. I should have gone for that walk a bit earlier. So this is something that I, I understand massively. I just don't always put it into practice. And another perspective on that, if you didn't go on that walk, it may not have even happened. So you could go, thank God I went for that walk as early as I did. Yeah, true, true. I think... Everything kind of happens for a reason is a massively cliched thing to say, but it sort of does. And I can even see it with the worst, worst, worst things that have happened to me that I still have regret around, that I still have a massive discomfort around. But I can see the silver lining. There is one. Um, and it can be hard to do that, but it's there. I can see it. I wouldn't be doing any of this work now if I hadn't been to an extremely painful place mentally and emotionally. And, um, and there's bits of it that I'm grateful for. And sometimes it feels hard to say that, but I am. Yeah. Well, well, like, I guess if, if it catalyzed all this latest, you know, all the exploratory work, which I think is amazing what you're doing, like I really, really do. I think wonderful. Uh, like, I think the nature of life is the more that like, and we discussed sensitivities, like you both, both said, both being very sensitive, like, you know, people can often say, oh, you're so sensitive, but like, it really is like sensitive also is the capacity to feel more which is the capacity to empathize more, which essentially like if we're looking to create a more compassionate, connected world, we need more sensitive people. We need more sensitive people that are, you know, aware of their awareness and all these various different things as well. Yeah, I think we here, need here. both. Like I, my friend Fran is amazing. I've got this group of friends that I grew up with from the age of sort of five, really. There's six of us and we're be the best mates still now. And everyone's turning 40 this year, so it's quite exciting. And say like me and Rebecca are quite sensitive and we overthink things and worry about stuff. And we'll often call our mate Fran or text her. And I remember Rebecca saying once she sort of a text Fran saying something that was really bugging her about motherhood. She was feeling really guilty and unable to deal with stuff. And Fran will always just go, oh, just stop worrying about it. Just don't give a shit. Just stop giving so much of a shit. And we go, oh, yeah. Why am I giving such a shit about that? I think the world needs both. The world needs people that can pull us up when we're being, we're drowning in our sensitivity to go, just stop giving a shit about it. Just say fuck it and get on with it. And we need people <laughs> that go, oh my God, everything's really painful right now and hurting me. And I'm going to probably create some sort of beautiful art out of it or have empathy or something's going to come from it. I think we need both. Uh, and it'd be boring if, if there were all different types of people out there with, you know, nuances within their personal makeup. I think it's, um, Makes it interesting. Totally Lovely. agree. One thing I'd love to chat about is beyond happiness. Happiness and like we're called the happy pair. So, so much of our life has been caught up in this, you know, constant need to be in this high, happy, clappy, high hey, energy. And as we get more mature and we start to own it more, I've realized that 
happiness is a lot more really in that sense of contentment and that sense of beyond happiness into a more deeper, but, but satisfied. I think it's a different word because happiness in its very nature, I think, has a touch of nervousness and a touch of excitedness in it. And it's like, you know, it's up and it'll have the other side, whereas it's probably beyond happy, as you said. There's another word like contentedness or calmness or peacefulness, which is the other side of happiness. And I'd love to, I'd love to, like your podcast is The Happy Place, your festival is Happy Place, you wrote a book about happy. What has your journey through happiness been in, in, in kind of that context? Yes, it's a really interesting question because some people find even, I remember reading a review once of the podcast and it was a really lovely review. I was very grateful for it. But the uh, critic had said something like, you know, I, I really am, don't like the name Happy Place, but the podcast is, is great. And I thought that's weird. And But I get it, you know, Happy Place or the word happy is loaded. There's sort of expectation there. And you can feel like you're falling short if you're not getting it. And it can be, it can feel like it's the be all and end all. And I, I haven't named my book or my brand, whatever project we're working on, um, Happy Place uh, by accident. And I like exploring it and I like unpicking it because to me, it's not some sort of final destination. It's not the be all and end all. But I think it's so fascinating that we've all got this big idea that it is the whole point to life. And it is important and it is really brilliant when we have those moments where we feel good. But there's so much value, as we all know, in all the other emotions and all the other stuff that we can get from, you know, different circumstances that bring up different things within us. I think when I was younger, say like when I started in telly and all through my 20s, I I thought probably much like you did at the start of your happy pair journey, that people needed me to be happy. That was my job. And happiness had to be um, sort of notched up a sort of gear or two. Like I'm on the telly, I'm really happy, or I'm on the radio and I'm really happy. And then in my 30s, I started to think, I don't want to be known as the person that's like always, because I was always sort of written about in newspapers as bubbly, which used to drive me nuts. Like, what the fuck is that? I'm not bubbly. Like, sometimes I come home or I've had a massive row with my mum on the phone. I'm not bubbly. Like, that's my job. So then I started to rebel against it. And I started to try and be like way too serious. And, And I can still do that. I can still go much more sort of too into the line of seriousness. And I think now... I'm not really thinking about it at all. I'll just show up. And today you've caught me on a day where I do feel very good and I feel very creative and I'm feeling quite up. But then I did a podcast on uh, Rongan Chatterjee's channel recently and I, I, my cat had just died. I was in grief. I felt very, very fragile. And I turned up like that. And I thought, I'm not going to pretend. That's how I feel. So I think I've got a little bit bolder in showing up as I am. But I don't believe that happiness is this big outward expression these days. For example, I was in Dorset at Christmas and I was walking along this path towards the coast and there was nothing. There wasn't a single house. There was certainly no people. There were a bunch of sheep. um, And I was just walking along and it was silent. And I was buzzing. I felt so happy because I really like being on my own. I don't love being around lots of other people. And it was a private moment that no one knew about. I wasn't expressing it at all. If you'd seen me walking, it was just the person walking with a coat on and a hat on, just the person walking. But I felt wicked. I felt alive. I felt connected. I felt contentment, but I did feel an upness. I felt happy. So 
I don't think you can pin it down. And that's what's interesting about it. The ephemeralness of the word happy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm effervescent. Fasting. I like that word effervescent. Can I go mm. with you? No, you can go. Okay. Go Connection. This is a word that probably the first 10 years of my marriage has been the quest for that word connection. My wife's a clinical psychologist and a gestalt psychotherapist. So like her life is built on the word connection. And to me, I was like, stop using that word. I hate that word. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> and she's like, stop saying sense of. <laughs> oh, of course. No, that's Mark. Um, <laughs> and the word, as I get older, um, and not necessarily that much wiser, but a little bit wiser myself. Connection means to me the ability to connect with all aspects of myself. And the more I can connect and accept the different aspects of myself, the more I give permission to accept and connect with other aspects of life. What does connection mean to you, Fern? And what's your experience with it? I think it's very similar. Um, when, Like when we were talking about self-compassion, when you are connected to yourself, I think subsequently you have no choice to but to be connected to everything else. So whether that is other humans without any division or boundary in place, um, it's a connection to the planet we are on, nature, and noticing that you are no more important than the plant in your back garden or in the park or the bird in the tree or um, the pig roaming around on the farm. You're all the, It's all the same. You're equal. You're connected. It's not you're a human. That is a pig. It's all the same thing. Um, and also a connection to that's something that is bigger. Again, hard to, to articulate what that might be. I think it, it can be quite a bespoke thing, but that overall connection to, uh, it, I don't want this to sound flippant or cartoonish, but the magic, like the magic that is there. I massively believe in a, a, a magic that is, again, sort of inexplicable. Those moments of Miracle, those moments where signs show up, those moments of sort of bizarre fate. I I seek them out. I love those moments. I'm living for those moments at times. And I think when you have a connection to yourself, which I think is not dissimilar to self-compassion, that all just sort of is there in place. I don't think you have to sort of work towards that necessarily. Um, so it, it's hard to define, but it is a... A full-bodied, full-sensory experience with this this book, Bigger Than Us, I guess, is trying to tackle how wellness fits into the bigger picture. Because wellness, as we know it, is looking after your body and your mind. We've talked about physical and mental health, mental health being a newer concept, but looking at physical and mental health in the mainstream, because obviously people have been doing this for years, but in the mainstream. But what about the other bit? Again, insert here the language that you're comfortable with. Soul, energy, essence. I don't care what word it is. But what about that other bit? There is another bit to me, I think. I'm not just a sack of flesh with a brain. There's something else going on. And that is connected to everything, every single thing and all of it. And I, and I want to approach wellness with that in, in the picture rather than just my body and my brain. I wonder, I wonder if that like, you know, exactly what you're saying, that magic, like tapping into that magic. When you're saying that, I think of like kids and childlike wonder. 
And kids don't have the same egos as adults do. You know, the way where, like, as you said, you hold on to life a lot. And like most of us do, we're like, we're, we're so conditioned that we need to be doing things all the time. And we're busy doing this stuff. Whereas I look at my kids and the magic is there because they don't have, the, they don't have this urgency that they need to do stuff. So I wonder, is it almost like, as you said, Steve, that question about surrender like that, the more we can surrender, the more we can let go the more we're likely to feel connected and to see the magic and to be following, chasing unicorns and rainbows and magic dust. Yeah, yes, I please. think it's, it's yes, the, no? yeah, yeah, more unicorns. I think it's, yeah, the less we operate from ego, which is a big ask because we're humans living in the modern world, but the less we operate from ego, the more we will probably feel connected. You know, I'm not an expert in that area. Go and listen to Eckhart Tolle talk about it. He's, He's the he's the guy. Um, but I think when we're operating from ego and, you know, you mentioned there, Dave, about th- our kids. And, and I see this at play because, you know, like Rex, my nine year old, is um, well, he's going to be nine next month. He's very free and I love it about him. But sometimes my ego gets in the way of his freeness. So he wanted to go to school this morning in a pair of trousers that had a hole in the knee with quite a big sort of dreadlock at the back of his hair. Um, And he just, you know, looked a little bit scruffy. And I was like, oh, mate, you can't wear those trousers to school. Come on, I've got another pair in the the wardrobe. Let's put them on. He's like, no, I'm wearing these. I was like, oh, do you mind if I just, can I just get that knot out the back of your hair? No, this is because he does this with his hair. He likes it to look wild. And, And then I have to step back and go, why am I doing that? I'm doing it because I don't want other people to judge him because therefore I feel judged. That's not fair. That's not fair for me to project that onto him. That is my ego talking. My ego is saying, I'm worried that people are going to judge me. I'm worried that people are going to judge me as a mother and judge my kid. I don't want to be judged. That's my ego. That's not my soul, true essence, or my connected bit. My connected bit goes, doesn't really matter because we're all the same. Don't matter if he's got a hole in his trousers or not. He's just being him. So we, 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 I guess the uh, endeavor is to work less from ego, which isn't easy. No, no, it's definitely not. Like it's, it's a bit like you saying like meditation, like it's like, I don't know how the heck, like, cause it's almost like, like my own fear with that, like, is that then you lose your sense of, ur- your sense of like wanting to do stuff that you're just some person that sits in the corner and meditates, that you lose that sense passive, of who you are. You're worried you that become you become passive, passive rather than being like someone that's bringing your game to life. You're just like, you know, or I, maybe, I don't necessarily or maybe agree. you're more connected. I, I don't know. It's more. Is that a really interesting point? I think, um. I mean, I certainly think you can do both. I certainly think you can carve out times where you really root into your own inner voice and beliefs and what makes you feel good. Yet you can channel your pain, which I don't think any of us, unless you are, you know, living in a cave as a sort of Buddhist hermit or any other religious person that has extracted themselves from the social structures that we have, who then can meditate all day or go into that feeling and that sense of essence always because that's very hard to do when you have children a job a home you live you know in in a in a community whatever it is it's much harder to do that so i guess what we can attempt to do is find little moments of that and know that it's there essentially just remember that that's always there and then when we do come up against pain difficult emotions 
that we try and use them or learn from them. I'm very lucky that I get to use a big bag of pain over here to write and to talk to other people and to excavate their lives and to feel more curious. But obviously a lot of people don't have that opportunity. So they might need to use their pain in other ways to maybe connect to others who are in pain or to help others or to um, just have general empathy, whatever it might be to do charitable work that you can do stuff with pain or you can even, you know, you can use anger and, and go running and like have an endorphin based experience. I think you can use pain. So it's probably unrealistic to think that we're going to entirely ignore our ego because whatever you can get rid of it, I think you just have to learn how to operate with it. It's not like I don't have an ego anymore. It's like I hear it, but I'm not listening to it and acting from it. That's unrealistic 24-7. So I think it's just remembering that we have an ego. We are not that voice that's telling us we're a piece of shit or that that person's against us. That is not us. That is our ego. And we can learn how to sort of just chat with it about life. To be mm. less affected by the, by the noises in our head almost. Yeah. That type of thing. And where we're just surrendering and trusting to the magic and the flow of life. Yeah. Uh, okay. Question for me. And this is, I was going to say, oh, for anyone listening, uh, any top tips to be more connected? And I said, Re- realistically, Stephen, you're asking that question for yourself. So stop pretending. Fern, <laughs> top tips for me to be more connected. So it's probably about, I'd say, I, I can only talk from personal experience and other people might have already nailed it or this might not resonate, but I would certainly say, slowing down. Now, as you've gathered, I am not a sort of person that lives in a in a slow fashion. So I have to mark out moments for it. So today I've done lots of different things, voiceovers and writing a new book. I have to carve out in my lunch break a, a, a time that I can go for a walk. It might not always be an hour. Today I was lucky I had an hour, but it might be a short amount of time. I have to go for a walk in silence and just notice what's going on around me doesn't have to be a walk. It could be anything. You know, you guys like meditating, you like yoga, you like swimming in the sea. You find your peaceful hobby and you implement it wherever you can, even if it's for like two minutes in the morning as you're making your coffee. So I think that is a chance for us to notice what's going on within ourselves. So we then have a chance to connect to other people. Um, I think also when we're looking at connectiveness or connectivity, We have to look at fear because I know the times where I felt really disconnected, especially from other humans, is when I felt really scared. And it's when I felt scared about being me and just showing up as me. And I felt not good enough. Um, If I've have, you know, an an example in my own world is if someone else is interviewing me who, um, who is very revered and I believe that they're they're, they're smarter, they're um, they're more articulate, that they're maybe perhaps a bit more judgmental about things in life. I, I'm scared. I, I'm not relaxed. I am scared. I don't want to go into that situation. So I cut off connection immediately. Snip. I'm not connecting with you. I'm terrified of you. Whereas, you know, me talking to you guys now, I know that you just want to have a decent chat. So I arrive hoping to connect with you. I have hope that we will connect, which I feel we've most definitely done in the last hour. But if I'm anticipating a fear and it's my own insecurity, there's no chance for connection. And I think we can put that into context in all different situations in life, whether it's trying new things, a job, uh, whatever it might be in your life, trying newness. We don't even give connection a chance because we're terrified that 
we might be rejected or that the connection won't happen and then where are we left? So I think looking at fear is really important. And again, I'm no expert in that. There's loads of great books like Suzanne Jeffers, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, or Fuck It Therapy by John C. Parkin, I believe, wrote that book. There's loads of great books that face up to fear. Um, So I think that's that's an interesting one to look at. And I think it goes back to what we've talked about, self-compassion. Like, you know, I I interview um, a shaman in the book to learn more about shamanism and and sort of historic shamanic work in different cultures and parts of the world. And the leaving message was, you know, be self-compassionate. It was that simple in the end. There's all sorts of wonderful things that can happen within it and and, uh, things you have to study for years and mysticism. But really, the foundation is self-compassion. I I don't think we have to be too complicated about any of this stuff. It's not, you know, this isn't sort of spirituality or wellness. They're not exclusive clubs that only certain people are allowed in because they've read up on something. They've read a fancy book or they know about philosophy or whatever. This is life. This is for everyone. I really want my work to be uh, promoting that. This is for everyone. This stuff is just, it's simple. It's liking yourself. It's liking yourself and therefore you will do other nice things for yourself and other people and you will see the bigger picture. I I don't think any of it's got to be, you must do yoga for an hour. You must drink a litre of wheatgrass every day. You must, it's not prescribed. I think it's really simple. It just seems complicated because the world says to us, you should hate yourself because then I can get you to buy this product. You should not like yourself because then I'll get you to follow my rules and regime. I want you to not like yourself because then you're more controllable and I can manipulate you, other people in your life. The world tells us to not like ourselves. We have to rebel against that to like ourselves. I don't think any of it's fancy. I think it's all really basic, basic, basic stuff. And how do we, like, for, like you know, I'm thinking like, okay, more self-compassion, more kindness. I write about it all the time, kindness and whatever. And I really do, like, I really feel it. And I'm going like, how do we become more self-compassion? How do we, like, love ourselves? Is more? it ultimately not about just accepting all our flaws and that it's about really connecting with our vulnerabilities that society kind of really... But that is hard, isn't strong. it? But like, like, that is, like, I know that, that is I a hard give, thing to I do. I could give you an answer too. Like, I could, give, you know, conjure up an answer here too. Like, you know, I've read spiritual books too, like, and give you out some kind of spiel. But what do you reckon from all your work at Affirm? What you guys have just sort of conversed about is so interesting because say, for example, yeah, right. So you're saying, Steve, we've got to accept all of our flaws, which I totally understand that concept. And I've, and I've done a lot of therapy around having to accept certain things. Yeah, I know that that isn't easy as well. So say, say you're in a friendship with someone and you with good intentions, uh, reach out to them. Maybe you say something to them. Maybe you ask them for something. And you are slapped back down. You are told, how dare you? You got that wrong. You can't say that to me or whatever the response is. That's a very tricky dynamic because you might walk away and go, oh my God, but I had really good intentions there. And I know that it was coming from a place where I wanted to help, connect, whatever it might be, but they didn't see it like that. That's that's a tricky dynamic because you can walk away and say, I accept my flaws. But when someone else is telling you, I do not accept your flaws, or it could be as simple as you've been dumped. Oh my God, in my 20s, I got dumped about a thousand times. You're dumped by someone that you really liked and you didn't think you'd really done anything wrong. You walk away and go, oh my God, I know what my flaws are, but they're rejecting me because of them. That is so hard. When you are faced with rejection, 
accepting your own flaws feels pointless and impossible. And I know that feeling inside out. So it requires so much work, so much work. It requires talking to nice people. It requires some boundaries. Like only talking to people you know are going to give you, not like yes people, but give you wholehearted feedback. You've got to listen to nice podcasts. You've got to listen to nice music. You've got to watch TV shows that are benevolent and nice. You've got to really put some filters in place to allow good stuff into your world because you deserve it. Um, because it's hard. And I think, I don't think there's an exception. We've all been on the receiving end of extreme rejection and it bloody hurts. It feels horrible. And the only, the only option feels in that moment uh, the, the option feels like you, well, I'm not even saying it's not an option. The only place you go to is one of self-loathing. So you go, well, they've just confirmed that I am all the things I believed I am. I've been rejected because of my flaws. It's really, really hard. I think there has to be acceptance um, that that's really tough. And that we probably will still not like our own flaws and feel really in pain when we are rejected because of them. I think the acceptance has to go to that level rather than battling against it. Because otherwise we feel like we're failing. If we say you've got to accept all your flaws, but you're finding it really hard because you're being rejected by people, then you feel like even more of a failure. Oh my God, I can't accept my flaws. I'm a failure. I'm even more of a failure than I thought I was in the first place. Just accept that it's all really, really fucking hard. It's really simple. And it's really hard. There's the paradox. <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. it really is. I like the idea of filter, like putting filters in place and making yeah, sure I love that, that like, I really do love you that. mind yourself, like I really do in terms of boundaries and just being conscious about it so that the world doesn't chew you up and make you think you're an awful person. Well, yeah, you're totally we, like that. We have we're to totally, be disciplined about that. Uh, we're yeah, totally I like really that. believe we, we don't that. Like, look I at really news. Do. We're, we're quite ignorant. We live in our own little happy place, Same. to use the name but, of your but, thing. But it's... why is that a bad thing? I, I've created my own reality in my head as someone has who reads all the papers, watches the news, watches violent TV shows, whatever it might be. My reality I've created because I'm imbibing stuff that I'm making a real conscious decision to watch and learn from. And, and it might be uh, beautiful books rather than watching the news. I don't want to watch the news. I don't want to watch it. The word news isn't one thing. The modern day um, notion is that news has only negative connotations. That's yeah, a yeah. lie. News and is it, is uh, is updates. Is it, information, well, news, information. News can be what news can be anything. News and is, even look at the, even look at the root of the word. It's like new neutral. with an s at the end. New. It's like new stuff. S. I don't know. Maybe you can redefine it. Now it just yeah, means but it's just like, a neutral word. But but we think it only means bad stuff. Ooh. I don't want to watch only bad stuff. It's that yeah, simple. Yeah. Don't want to watch bad stuff. Don't care if it makes me ignorant or don't know who's arguing with who. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it. Life's already challenging enough. I don't want to watch all that shit going on. It doesn't make me ignorant. I will still seek out moments to help people struggling wherever they are in the world. I will learn about communities that need a helping hand. I will learn about individuals who have a brilliant story to tell that will connect people. I will do charitable things in other countries, in other cultures, in other communities. I'm not shut off from the world. I'm choosing not to listen to a narrative. Yeah, I love it. Okay, one final question comes up to me that goes contrary to us talking about spirituality, philosophy, ephemeral stuff. What's your favourite materialistic thing? And I have Great one question. last. Can I have one last question too? And mine's going to be. You can only take one. one We're going on a plane, and it's leaving in an hour, and you have ten seconds. Ten, 
No. Oh shit, eight, it's a really boring seven. one. Because if, if okay. I'm on a plane and I'm going somewhere and it's not my home, I've got to take my own pillow. Because oh, I'm a shit sleeper. What's so fancy about your pillow? Because I have superstition around sleep. So I have to have all these certain things in place so I feel safe, so I can sleep well. So I have your to have one earplug, one, not two, not one earplug, a certain face mask that is so grubby, but I've had it forever, and my pillow. And without those things, I don't feel I can sleep. Wow. That's cool. That's a great answer. Okay, it's and my last, my last question what's is... What's yours, Dave? What's yours? Uh, my sleep thing. No, what's oh, the, the thing one thing I take? take with you? I take with me. Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't think there's anything really. An orange. Yeah, sorry. A, I don't food, know. a food blender I feel, I feel like, or something I feel for a nice like an orange. No, I feel thinking? like an orange right now. I'd love an orange. <laughs> I'd like a big Seville juicy navel orange or Sicilian oh, one. So They're lovely. Amazing. That's such yeah. a sweet thing. Just a lovely <laughs> orange. Okay, my, my last question is, what's one thing you're excited about? Or my, like, book, you, you, my book coming out. My book, yeah. Honestly, I'm thrilled because I've, I, I felt really scared about my other books being released, but I don't feel scared about this one. I feel really excited. I'm really excited about this book coming out. I really bloody hope that it helps people in some way like it's helped me. Is that because you think it's a better book than the other ones or have you just made peace and been on this journey? No, I just think I'm prepared to be more me and more honest. And it was a book that uh, allowed me to heal in certain ways in areas. And I still am taking things that I learned from the book and putting, implementing them into my life. And, it, and it's really helping me. So I, ho- I really hope it does the same for other people. That's cool. I know we've to we've a book tomorrow that goes on pre-order, and I feel a little bit. I know I have to put it up on social media tomorrow and put in all sorts of things, and I feel it, there's a little bit of anxiety. I mean, it's like, oh, well, we gotta like put our, little, put our little jersey on and put it out in the world there, and I feel a little like, <laughs> oh, I hope hope people like it's our brilliant. little. It's brilliant. Your little books have helped like me. Us. Your books have helped me so much. You know, I've learned so much from reading your books, and as I've told you before on Happy Place. Reading your books and, and hearing you on Russell's podcast and, and just hearing you speak on your own channels has taught me about a plant-based eating to the point where, you know, me and my husband have both made the jump and we're doing it and we're really enjoying it. And we've done it for about three years now. And, and you you guys are a, a real key part of that. So thank you. Oh, we're honored. Yay. Thank you, Fern. It's nice thank to be in your kitchen, you, Fern. Okay, Fern, for anyone listening who doesn't have a thing called the internet, where can they learn more about you? Okay, you yeah, you can buy you can buy several books, but there is a new book bigger than us. Uh, you can listen to me on Radio Two if you like. I do a, a '90s show, which is just joyful nostalgia, which is what I'm all about. So that's on a Friday night or on BBC Sounds, but you would need the internet for BBC Sounds. Um, or if you do have a phone, a smartphone, I'm of course on Instagram and all those other places, and you can listen to the podcast if you fancy too. Brilliant, Fern Cotton, you are wonderful. You have an amazing air. capacity to flow, like a conversation with you, like it's just like. Well, that's because beautiful. you've made me feel safe. You know, I don't always have that. I, I will do interviews where I don't feel safe and I'm overthinking everything and I'm not being me. But you've given me the space, and this is what I hope to do on my podcast to just be me. So that's up, that's that's down to you guys. So thank you. Well, and how really- was that one you said with Rangam where you felt really vulnerable and tender? Like, how were you on that one? Like, were you super? I, I was in a good flow because I think uh, grief, and I, and I know there are varying levels of grief, and I don't want to, you know, pit my cat dying next to other types of grief. But I, I'd had my cat for 20 years and, I, and it really hit me. She's, you know, she's been through all this stuff with me and it made me think about the passing of time and, and I, I felt very, very raw. So I was able to get into a good flow because I think, you know, connectivity isn't just about positives. Feeling connected can come clearly from grief. You feel so connected to 
that something bigger and the awe of life and the passing of life and what the hell happens next. And so I was really connected that day and I was really in a state of flow because I felt everything. I was feeling every single feeling acutely. It was on the surface of my skin. So I really felt it. The times I'm not connected and I can't get into flow is when fear's about, oh, this person's judging me. They think this about me. I'm not being smart enough. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not in my flow. But today with Ronga and other people I feel safe with, doesn't matter what mood I'm in. It's not mood based. It's more, am I feeling like I can be vulnerable with this person or people and show up as me today? So I don't, that's probably a good point for our conversation earlier. Connectedness isn't about, oh, joy, I'm connected to the pig in the farm and the trees and the flowers. <laughs> Connectivity can be, I am so in pain and I'm feeling all of it, but I am connected to this something bigger because that is life. That is life. It's not just a positive thing. And I, and I should have said that earlier. Well, you got it in there. Well done. It's, it'll still go in the exam. It'll still go towards your grade. Congratulations. You are wonderful. You're great. So you guys. I look, I really look forward to hanging out with you. I think you're oh, just say, fabulous. We have to so. do it. We've been saying it for years. We've had all this bloody shit going on that's got in the way, but we will. I will swim with you. We will yeah, hang out. Visit. We will eat Dave porridge. Dave a spare room. Jesse, we're going right. to make this happen. We'll eat vegetables. Yeah, eat vegetables, chat about yoga. There's and, and I think, you know, this is the lovely thing about Happy Place is I'm meeting all these brilliant people, which just offers up chances for collaboration. And that is what I'm about these days. How can I collaborate with other humans? How can we merge our work? How can we uh, cross-pollinate what we're doing? You know, that is that excites me more than anything. So we, we've got to do more stuff together without a doubt. Brilliant. Love it. You're Love great. It. Thank, Thank you, Fern. Fern. I want to be like Fern when I grow up. She's a breath of fresh air, really genuine. I love that fluid, spiritual, philosophical. Meaning. I hope you got meaning in this conversation because certainly I got loads of nuggets. I got really, loads really of nuggets about connection. I'm going home to connect. Yeah, really are. Um, yeah, thanks for making it this far. We're most grateful. We genuinely are. As we said in the intro, we have a new book coming out. It's called The Veg Box. It is... It's, it's available to pre-order. We've taken the 10 most common veg in Ireland and the UK. We're cooking them 10 different ways, each one 10 different ways, using 10 ingredients or less. Yeah, it's and it's really all about food waste, the environment, more than 100 recipes. I think it's our best book yet. And uh, yeah, we'd love you if you want to support us. Please do pre-order on Amazon or Eason's or any of the it really does places help. you can. Um, thanks for making it this far. We are most grateful. Big shout out to Sarah Fawcett and Shawnee Cahill. And uh, yeah, sending loads of love. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.